Most of you are conscious that over the last few weeks, we have been working our way through Matthew's gospel. And I said on our first uh, study of Matthew back on that first Sunday of Advent at the beginning of the month, that when it comes to Matthew's gospel, it's a little like putting together a jigsaw puzzle. And you look for similar themes and patterns and colors. You look for a frame to work within. You put four corners in place. And slowly but surely, an image begins to emerge. And on that first Sunday, we looked at Matthew chapter 1, that list of names. And then last Sunday, we looked at the life of Joseph, which added more color and themes to our emerging picture. And today, we come to the visit of the Magi. Matthew chapter 2 at verse 1. And Matthew writes these words. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. And Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream to go, not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading of his word. Now this morning, as we come to this third in our series of studies in Matthew's gospel during this Advent season, we come to what is the well-known story that's sometimes called the Three Kings, the Magi, the Three Wise Men. And traditionally, we've talked of them as three kings, three wise men, simply because there were three gifts. The Scripture doesn't say there were three, there could have been five, there could have been two, but three seems reasonable. And as we read that story, you may in your mind have been thinking, now Richard, for the last 2,000 years, we've been hearing a story of the three wise men. Why on earth would you repeat a story that's so well known? And the reason we repeat it is this, because it may not be as well known as you think, hence we're going to do our study this morning. 
And in fact, a couple of weeks ago, a lady in the congregation sent me uh, an email with a slightly different picture of three wise individuals. And it said, do you know what would have happened if it had been three wise women instead of three wise men? They would have asked for directions, arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and brought disposable diapers. And we read that and smile and say, of course, that was absolutely what would have happened. And of course, Christmas is that time for fun and laughter and festivities, and we smile naturally. But as we come to immerse ourselves in this remarkable event that opens Matthew chapter 2, it's one thing to look back and say, well, that was fascinating. But the other part of our study Sunday by Sunday is to say, well, how do we apply it today? Looking back in the first century, it's always fun. We learn so much. But how do we apply it today? What does the story of the Magi have to teach us in this third Sunday of Advent in our final week before Christmas? And that's where we're going in our study this morning. Last week, we said that God often hides his greatest gifts in ordinary packages when we were looking at the story of Joseph. But with the story of the wise men, it's the opposite. We see this spectacular astronomical phenomenon in the sky. It's not hidden in an ordinary place, but it is there in all of its grandeur. What does it mean? Why is it significant? And that's what we're going to tease out this morning. But before we get there, I don't want to go back 2,000 years. I simply want to go back to 1943. And most of you will know that back in 1943, the Second World War was at its height. And I recently came across a story of an Air Force chaplain who was a relatively young man. He was new as a chaplain. He was working with airmen. He was praying with them, trying to comfort them and encourage them before they went off into battles. And in fact, they were based in the south of England. And the airmen were involved with missions each night on B-17s and B-24s bombing Germany. And... <clears throat> He felt a little awkward praying with the men and trying to comfort them because he himself had never flown a mission. And he approached his commander, explained his dilemma, and said, I feel, I feel awkward. It feels fabricated to be praying for folks when I have never found myself in that situation. And if it's possible, could I go on a flying mission? I want to experience what they experience. And his commander said, well, chaplain, we'd love to help you, but you don't have the training, and we don't want to lose you. And month after month, he would continue the same request, and eventually they said, well, if you go through some training, we will let you fly, but you have to simply be an observer. That's all you're there to do. He said, I understand. And sure enough, they took off had flown uh, across France at significant uh, altitude, and as they moved towards Germany, the chatter among the airmen on the aircraft died off, and there was silence. And as they were approaching the target area, 
uh, aircraft fire was taking place and there were explosions all around them. Some of their colleagues in nearby aircraft had been hit, in fact. And the chaplain got on the intercom and he said, gentlemen, I want to remind you that regardless of what you are feeling and the fear you are experiencing, God is right here with us. And the tail gunner, whose job was to be in the very bottom section of the plane, way out on the tail, immediately got back and said, chaplain, it's okay for you guys up there in the cockpit, but I, I can tell you, I'm down here on my own. And there was a kind of a little laughter. And then a shell came through the underside of the aircraft, out the top side, and did not explode. And the tail gunner came back on the intercom and said, Sir, correction, God has just walked in. And it was almost prayer-like with a sense of relief that the bomb did not go off. Christmas reminds us in a powerful, powerful way that God walked into our world. We see it in Christmas decorations around our house when we put up mangers. We hear it in Christmas carols as we sing them. We see it in gifts that are given. And for the rest of the year, we run so fast, they're overextended, overscheduled, but at Christmas, we intentionally slow down and cast our vision heavenward because we are reminded in that powerful way that God just walked in. In Matthew chapter 2, the story of the Magi is a remarkable story. Put yourself in their position. Imagine what it was like for them. New Testament scholars tell us that the Magi were probably from Persia, that they were probably scholars and astronomers. They would spend their evenings looking at the stars. They had them plotted. They would examine them regularly. And can you imagine the conversation between the three of them when they get together for the first time a few days after noticing this new star? And they're saying to each other, well, what is it? Why is it there? I can't understand, but I've been plotting it the last few days, and it is moving to the west, and it's moving slowly. And the other one says, well, I didn't see that. Let me see. And look up, and they begin to plot it on star charts. And they say, absolutely, it's moving. What is going on here? Look at the size of it. And one of them says, well, actually, in my household, I have a Jewish girl, and when she heard me talking about this, she mentioned that in the Old Testament that they call the book of Isaiah, in chapter 9, you read the words that those walking in darkness have seen a great light. And unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Could that be significant for this star? And you can imagine the conversation developing and growing, and the curiosity being stimulated. And then the three of them saying, well, we have to follow it. We want to know what's happening here. And then you can imagine the three of them speaking to their wives and families and saying, hi, honey, I'm going on a business trip. Oh, 
Who are you going with? Well, Malkiar and Baltazar and I, we're heading uh, east how, for the weekend? No, it's four months there, we think, and probably four months back. Really? A business trip? And are you selling or buying something? No, we're just following a star. Um, yeah, okay. And you can imagine that conversation taking place. But in the midst of the conversation, there was something much deeper, something much greater that was pulling at their soul as they began to understand in some strange, mysterious way, God Himself is in this. We have to follow this. And that deep, settled conviction that often happens when, with folks when they begin to wrestle with their faith for the first time. Is this real? Is this true? What does this mean for me? And there's that deep conviction of the soul. And God is at work in the life of these three wise men. And so they set off. And you can imagine that first morning when they're standing there in the pre-dawn light and you can see the breath as the animals breathe and the wise men are together putting together a significant sized caravan. You cannot travel or could not travel in those days from ancient Persia heading east across what was called the Fertile Crescent, turning left just before Turkey, then into Syria, Damascus, and down the old trade route through Galilee to Jerusalem. And you couldn't do it with half a dozen people. You would need a sizable caravan and soldiers to protect you on those trade routes. And you'd have at least three wise men, as we know, plus their entourage. And I imagine them in that pre-dawn moment, excited, full of expectation and anticipation, and off they go, following the star. Then a couple of days leads to a couple of weeks, which leads to a month, which leads to five or six weeks. And they didn't know where it was going. We know more than they knew then in terms of their route. They simply were faithfully following the star. And can you imagine their prayers at night? Their prayers being, Father, we were quite sure where we were going in those early days. We were excited. We were anticipating. We knew what was happening. And now we're beginning to wonder, are we there yet? What is going on? How long will this take? Father, encourage us. Strengthen us for this journey because it's much longer than we thought. And there's silence. God is not speaking every day to them. The star is simply there, simply moving along its trajectory. Let me see if I can illustrate the importance of silent moments. When I was eight years old, my mother, with a mixture of ambition and courage, sent me off for piano lessons. And I was pretty useless, I have to tell you. But I mastered the scale of C. And after three months, I gave up. But, and I can still play it today. And you'll be grateful to know I'm not about to play it because Stephen's about to play it for me. Stephen, can we play the first half of the scale of C?
I'd just finished playing it over in the Worship and Art Center. Now, can you play it in reverse? Eight-year-olds can play that. Now, if you play those same notes, scale of C in reverse, in a certain, they just come right down as they are on the keyboard, but with a pause, this is what you get. Sound familiar? Of course it sounds familiar, because there was a pause, just a heartbeat of a pause here and there. And when you're praying and praying and praying, and there's a pause and there's no answer, it doesn't mean that God isn't listening. It means that God is still at work, and He is creating in us patience and perseverance. And likewise with the three kings. Because we know more, not only about their journey, but the significance of the journey than they knew. So let me quickly run on here, and I'll show you what I mean here. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And notice the reference, Matthew 1, 21 through 23. Three wise men didn't have Matthew's gospel. They didn't know what we know, and yet they were faithfully following the call of God regardless of what else was coming, they were going to follow his call day by day, week by week, regardless of how long it would take. And would there be moments of quiet? Yes. Would there be periods where God wasn't speaking? Yes. And if you find yourself in the middle of this Christmas season and you are asking, Lord, what are you doing? Things have not worked out the way I had hoped. I had put in for a major contract four months ago. The word came through last week. We didn't get it. And it's going to cause chaos and havoc in 2024 for my company and my employees. Or it may be you have prayed and prayed and prayed about a promotion and it didn't come off. Put a contract on a house, the perfect house for you, and it didn't come off. And you're asking, why would you do this? Why the silence? Just explain to me. And there, like a star in the night, sits the Scripture. And when you slow down long enough to pay attention and prayerfully engage with it, then you understand what's happening. Those are lessons we learned in the first couple of weeks in Matthew when we were putting the jigsaw puzzle pieces in place. The picture began to emerge. And notice what happens as the story continues. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's to be born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and notice what it finishes with. And we have come to worship him. 
Now think of that. That was their primary reason. We have come to worship Him. They don't say, let me explain to you this great phenomenon in the sky. Let me explain to you its significance. None of that was featured. Why? Because they understood this, that when they came to Jerusalem, and you can imagine a caravan arrives in ancient Jerusalem from Persia, the whole city, in fact, tells us the whole city was disturbed. Rumor and gossip was going around everywhere. Herod was sent for. He asks his own wise men. In fact, the passage tells us the chief priests and teachers of the law, where is the Messiah to be born? And they, in a stunningly, stunningly poor response, simply say, almost as religious observers in Bethlehem, they're disinterested, distracted, no real interest. They don't say to him, do you know what, this is the time of year that we were expecting the Messiah to be born? Herod, haven't you noticed the star in the sky? People are talking about it all over the place. Any day now, the Messiah could be born. None of that happened. None of that happens. Because they are simply religious observants. No heartfelt engagement, no prayer, no sense of expectancy or fulfillment or anticipation. None of that. It's as cold as it's possible to be. And then we discover Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child, and as soon as you find him, to report to me. And then we have, and I think I could argue, here are some of the most chilling words to be found in the New Testament, so that I too may go and worship him. Herod had no intention of worshiping the Christ child. Forty-four years he ruled. He was a brutal dictator. He took the life of his own mother, his own wife, and his four sons. Herod was only interested in one thing, power, significance, wealth, influence, ambition. Over the years, sin had captured his heart he had been deceived by it, his conscience tranquilized by it, filled with hatred and animosity. And you see in the passage the juxtaposition between the light of God's love and grace being born in a stable and Herod's animosity and hatred and his willingness to wipe out the Christ child. That's all that was it mattered to Herod. And it's awful. No interest in worshiping him. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, later on, we discover that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus had to flee to Egypt as Herod, on what is traditionally called the Day of the Innocents, butchered every child under three in Bethlehem, took every child's life under three, male or female. Didn't matter. Herod was a nasty piece of work. And you see it right there in the passage. 
then you have that wonderful ending to the passage. They went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshipped him. Now think of the enormity of that. They bowed down and worshipped him. Can you imagine how often that story was told and retold and told again to Jesus and his brothers and sisters as they were growing up? Can you imagine when Joseph was tucking them into bed at night and they would say to him, Dad, tell us the story of the three kings. What were they wearing? Where were they from? Tell us about the three gifts, because you know that somewhere in that house, probably up in a high shelf, were those gifts in significant containers of gold and incense and myrrh. Gold for a king. Incense used by priests every day in the temple area in Jerusalem, sprinkled over animals that were about to be sacrificed, and they were given to the baby in the manger. Why? Because he would grow up to offer the perfect sacrifice. He fulfilled the role of a priest on behalf of all of humanity. He offered himself. And myrrh, myrrh is used, of course, as an embalming agent to those who have died, and it was pointing towards his death. Even at his birth, there were signs pointing towards the fulfillment and the climax of God's eternal purposes to Calvary, and it's all wrapped up there in the giving of the gifts. Dad, tell us the story of the three kings. And remember what the passage said. He saw Mary, his mother, the Christ child, and they worshipped him. Several times we're told that. They arrived in the Jerusalem. We have seen the star. We have come to worship him. This was so much greater than curiosity. This was personal for the wise men. They wanted to be in his presence. They wanted to worship him. Now, you may be saying, okay, Richard, I've, I think I've got it. I've listened to everything you've said. I think having Stephen play Middle C and the scale was a little cheesy, but apart from that, I think it was good. Richard, we have one more week to Christmas. I've been listening over the last few Sundays, and you've been encouraging us to slow down. I've been trying to do that. But please give me one thing to do in the days leading up to Christmas. For me, it's not quite felt like Christmas yet. I've just been so busy running from one event to another, overstretched, exhausted, overscheduled. And I really want to enter into the reason for the season. Help me. Give me something to do this week that will help me. Well, here it comes. 
Here's my challenge for the next seven days. Wherever you are, however you spend this week, whether you're traveling, remaining at home, whether you're visiting with family and friends, carve out 10 minutes, maybe 15 if you can afford it, every single day. Every day, not just tonight before bed or tomorrow night, because by Tuesday and Wednesday you'll get distracted and be busy again and on to something else. But every day, carve out 15 minutes and come back to Matthew's gospel. And remind yourself how it begins. And it begins with the faithfulness of God. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And remind yourself that down through the centuries, God patiently, faithfully persevered with his children. He did so then and will do so now. The second Sunday, which was last week, we looked at the story of Joseph. And we said, as we said at the beginning, God often hides his greatest gifts in ordinary places. And come back and read for yourself. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Why? Because God has once again walked into our world. Be lost in the immensity. Give thanks for the intensity that majesty now dwells in a manger. The infinite became finite. God in all of his transcendent glory and wonder limited himself to time and space in order to extend his love to us. Be lost in the wonder of it all, and then slow down long enough to find yourself worshiping. Be lost in wonder, love, and praise. Let your heart and soul and mind soar heavenwards and worship him, Emmanuel, God, with then you understand the significance of Christmas. Then you understand all of history past was moving to this moment and would continue to Calvary. Understand its significance and the magnitude of it all. And then, like the kings, you will then be able to say, I have come to worship him. Because the Gospels tell us God has just walked in. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this spectacular story of the three wise men. Enable us, please, this week to be caught up with a sense of expectation and anticipation. Help us, please, to see you everywhere in this Christmas season.
The carols we sing, the gifts we buy, the cards we receive remind us daily to carve out time for you. Retune our deepest affections, recalibrate our souls, that we might be lost in wonder, love, and praise. Father, thank you for this time of year. Bless us this week. Enable us to slow down and to rest in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.